Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, the birthday wishes and the song and the video. I didn't know that was coming, so it uh, feels so nice. I love you all. It's the best community. I couldn't be more humbled and honored to, to lead and to speak to you guys every week. Um, so thank you for showing up and continuing to show up and to grow. Uh, it's more than just showing up. You guys are, you guys are really making some big steps in your faith. Uh, I hear stories of, our, of your growth every week, and that's what spurs me on. That's what keeps me going. So thank you, and let's continue to press toward all that God has for us individually and collectively um, as the body of Christ. Cool? Deal? Deal. All right. Um, happy Father's Day again to my dad. I want to honor you. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. Um, before we get into the message, I do want to... Uh, lead us in the declaration that we do. So repeat these words on the screen after me. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I'll live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. Well, the series that we're in this month is called Perfectly Fathered. Perfectly Fathered is a series for June. Uh, part one, we talked about reconciliation, how Jesus Christ is who reconciles us to our Father. Before Jesus, um, we're, we're like orphans. Um, we're uncovered. We're, we're unspoken for because it's only him who reconciles us with, with, with relationship with our Father. God is not just God. He's our Father. When you meet Jesus, you don't just meet God, you also meet your Father, and it's a big deal. So we talked all about that, part one. Part two, we talked about the nature of the Father, how he is up close and personal. His nature is to be up close and personal with you. That's, that's news to a lot of us. A lot of us um, have stories where that wasn't our experience with our earthly Father, of him being up close and personal. And God is both. He's a father that, that it's his nature to be very close to us. And that's, that's something that is a very healing message. And I, I recommend you guys, if you uh, haven't listened to it, our podcast uh, has it. So you can listen to the message. And I really think it will bless you. Uh, this week, we are talking about the verb tense of father. The verb tense of father. Father is one of those words that's both a noun and a verb. God is not just a father, but he also fathers. Fathering is a, a, an action. And I want to talk about how God does it. And the way we know about how God does it is by looking at the scripture. So the first scripture that I'm going to point out is a common one. A lot of us may have heard of it. But um, it's, it's in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm starting with the scripture because it's, it's a parenting scripture. And there's a lot of parenting scriptures in the Bible. And parenting scriptures in the Bible are twofold. They not only train parents on how to train their children, how to raise their children, but it's also really good insight into the nature of God and how he parents. Uh, anytime you see a scripture that's instructing people how to mother and father. It's a great indicator to how God is fathering us. So from this scripture, if God is saying to train up your child in the way he should go, that's a great indicator that the father is training us in the way we should go. The father knows, first of all, where we should go. Honestly, believe it or not, better than we do. <laughs> the father knows where we should go. The father knows the destination we should reach. And the Father knows how to train you accordingly. So based on where you should go, based on the destination that he has for you, he actually has the skill and the patience and the ability to train you to get there. I looked up the definition train in Webster. The definition train in Webster, it says, to teach so as to make fit, qualified, or proficient, to form by instruction, discipline or drill, to make prepared as by exercise for a test of skill, to direct the growth of usually by bending, pruning, 
and tying. Um, the way God trains us, the way he teaches us, the way he forms us, the way he bends us, the way he prunes us is via something that we all have in our phone and most of us have it in our house, and that is the Bible. The Bible contains all that the Father needs to truly train us and to prepare us for where we should go. There's a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, and it says, all scripture, everyone say all scripture, the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. There goes that training word again. Training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So verse 17 is the objective. He trains us and he corrects us so that we would be people of God who are complete, and equipped for every good work. So when the, when the scripture says train up a child in the way that they should go, scripture trains us in the way that we should go, which is completion and equipped for every good work. That's the destination for God's people, to be complete and to be equipped. For, so if you're ever considering like, Lord, where should I go? What are you doing with me? The answer is to be complete and to be equipped for every good work. A lot of us want to know where we're going to live and, and what, what job we're going to have. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your destination as a child of God is to be complete and equipped for every good work. That's the most important thing. You can, you can know your vocation, but if you're not complete and equipped for it, what's the use? You can know where you're supposed to live and what house you're supposed to buy, but if you're incomplete and ill-equipped in that house, you still haven't reached where God ultimately wants you to be. And that is complete and equipped. So to father is to prepare us for that. To father is to prepare. To father is to prepare your children for where they are supposed to go, for what they are supposed to do, so that they could be complete and equipped. So fathering is to prepare. And you can't prepare what's already prepared. So the whole idea of being prepared means that currently it's not prepared. So if you're preparing the table, the table is not prepared yet. The, the plates are still in the cupboard. The forks and knives are still in the drawer. The, the napkins are still unfolded. That's why you have to prepare it. You know, when, when you're preparing for a test, you don't have the information yet, so you're making sure you're storing up the information. When you're preparing for a marathon, you're currently not prepared. Therefore, you prepare. So none of us are born prepared. None of us are born. We're born with purpose, but being born with purpose and being born prepared for your purpose are two separate things. And honestly, same in the spirit. None of us are born again prepared. The minute that we're born again, we're saved, we're forgiven, but we're not prepared, which is why discipleship is so important. Discipleship is the preparation once you've been born again for the call on your life. So, so preparation is key, and to father is to prepare. So I say that because oftentimes when you're prepared, the area of focus is the part of you that's unprepared. So there's a lot of correction there's a lot of, of, of shaping and, and, and directing and, and moving that part from over here and rearranging. That's why discipleship and honestly being fathered properly is uncomfortable because you're literally having all the areas of your life that are not prepared addressed. Let's talk about the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 through 4. Let me, before I read this, let me just give you a little context. The father heart of God belongs to the father. And the cool thing about him is he doesn't just leave it with himself. He imparts his heart to others. So he imparted the father heart to Jesus. So even though Jesus was the son, he had the father's heart as well. And then Jesus, who had the father's heart, had his 12 disciples, and he imparted the father's heart to them. And then there comes Paul, and he receives the father's heart, and it just continues to go on and go on. So this scripture is actually Paul 
who had the heart of, of the father imparting it to Timothy, this new guy, this new pastor, and he's imparting him the father heart. He's teaching him how to shepherd. He's teaching him how to father God's children according to the word of God. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, this, this, this new young guy that's, that's receiving the heart of God for his flock. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, ex and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is teaching Timothy how to prepare his flock to be complete and equipped for every good work. And he's telling them, be careful because we're in a time where people are going to be more interested in having their passions appeased more so than becoming complete in God. Paul is telling him that you're going to approach a time where people would rather have their itch scratched than being complete and fully equipped. But he says, regardless of what's happening, stay true, be sober, stay focused at preaching the word. So the three things that he tells us to do, the reason why I, I'm reading the scriptures, because just like parenting scriptures are great insight on how the Father is raising us, so are all the shepherding and leadership scriptures too. So when you read this scripture about how to pastor a church, it's great insight to how the Father leads us and how he fathers us. And I want to point out three things that Paul tells Timothy to do in his leadership because I truly believe it's the very thing that the Father is doing to us. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Some translations say correct for reprove. Some say encourage for exhort. But um, we're going to go with these three words. The first word is reprove. So to reprove, there's a lot of ways you can define it, but to reprove is to express disapproval of what someone is doing or where they're going. To reprove is to acknowledge that something is not correct. Think about disapproval, though. Disapproval is not the same as rejection. Disapproval is not the same as hate. Disapproval is not the same thing as fear. And I have to tell you this because we're in a culture that has made disapproval and rejection synonymous. We're in a culture that has made disapproval and hate synonymous. We are in a culture that has made disapproval and fear the same thing, and they're not. In fact, when the Father's doing it, it's the exact opposite. It's because I love you and because I'm committed to you that we've got to address some things that are not only hurting you but hurting other people around you. So I've got to reprove you. It's because I love you. It's because I, I, I want to see you win in life that I have to tell you the areas that are not correct in your life. It's because I'm not afraid of what you might do and how you might react that I'm willing to tell you what's incorrect. So actually expressing disapproval is the opposite of fear. It's basically saying I'm not afraid at all. I'm not afraid, and I'll tell you because I love you. And this is the father that we have. He reproves. And Scripture says it's stupid to hate reproof. The Bible says only fools hate being corrected because ultimately if you realize the benefits of it, you realize that it's actually an act of love 
It's actually an act of intimacy. It's an act of everything that you're praying for. Truly. Raise your hand if you've ever taken a test in school. Ever taken a test? Raise your hand if you've ever gotten a question wrong on that test. Okay. The the danger in rejecting correction is, well, let me first off say, just because you got that answer wrong and your teacher pointed that out doesn't mean that they hate you. Just because you got that answer wrong and that wasn't the correct answer and they marked it on the exam, it doesn't mean they reject your existence as a human being. It means that in the context of their job, which teachers are called to prepare, the reason why you go to school is to be prepared for life after school, to be prepared for, your, for employment, for your career, and for everything after. And the alternative to not reproving and not pointing out what's incorrect is saying that it's correct when it's not. Imagine if all of us had 4.0 GPAs, regardless of how we performed on our test. We would all leave school thinking that we are way more knowledgeable than we are, and we're not prepared for the job at hand. We get hired, someone sees our resume, wow, you graduated valedictorian, and they hire you for a job that's way over your head, and now you've disappointed the company, you've disappointed yourself, and it sets you up for failure. And I'm actually more, I have some friends who are in the education system, and I'm hearing that, that more and more schools are just passing people. They're passing people as if they really know what they're doing, and they're, they're setting the people up for failure. Because they're not willing to take the time to say, this is wrong, and let's work on how to get it right. And we have a father who doesn't just pass us, who doesn't just say pass, go on for life, because he realizes that's going to set us up for failure. So he has the love, and he has the time, and the investment to say, this is wrong, but let me train you on how to get it right. To reprove is a blessing, and if you are wise, Scripture says, the wise learn to love it. And I want to raise up a church who's wise, that understands the beauty of reproof. The second thing I want to talk about is rebuke. Just so you know, the three things that Paul tells us to do, of of the three, two are like strong. Honestly, exhorting is arguably correctional too, but especially reproof and rebuke. So a lot of what a father does is addressing what's wrong and correcting. Why? Not to put you down, but to prepare you for life, to prepare you so that you are complete and fully equipped. So rebuke is to sharply address how that should not have happened, nor should it ever happen again. So reproof is to point out that something is not right. Rebuke is to sharply address it in a way where you know that that was not supposed to happen and should never happen again. And I say sharply on purpose. For instance, I'll use a test analogy again. Reproof is marking the question wrong and saying that, you know, the red, that, that famous red pencil that the teacher has where they mark something that's wrong. That's reproof. And uh, rebuke is that little letter that you get at the end of the test saying, like, we've got to talk about this or... This is way below you, or what's going on? Like that's it, It's beyond just saying what's wrong and saying, I've got to actually take out time and write out something to address this to you. We've got to talk after class. You've got to meet me at 4 o'clock because this is unacceptable. That's rebuke. It's a little bit further than just reproof. To rebuke is to sharply address, and yes, I know that the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, but being sharp and being gentle are not mutually exclusive. You can be sharp and gentle at the same time. Look at chef's knives. Look at scalpels. They're not slamming it down because it's so sharp. They actually, the more sharp it is, the less force you have to put on it, actually. So when it comes to rebuke, rebukes are meant to cut. They are meant to cut. They are meant to hurt. Let me keep on going.
a good example of this. Uh, there's really no way to make it less awkward, but we got to keep in mind, guys, that some of you guys, again, culturally, we got to, what did, what did Peter say? Repent from this evil and corrupt generation. I have to address our generation as I preach the word because you have to understand that I'm fully aware that the things I'm teaching are very countercultural to a lot of what we experience and hear out there. We, 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 we have to graduate and save ourselves from this idea that God, his love will never cause us any pain. We're, we're, we're moving into a deception that if it hurts, then it wasn't from God. It's not godly unless I feel good. And if I feel anything less than good, then this must be an evil spirit. And we must keep an, we must understand, guys, the same God who we love and who is perfect in all his ways is the same God who invented circumcision. If God is anti-pain, then why, what the heck was he thinking when he invented something that literally is meant to cut? But the significance of circumcision was in the Old Testament, if you were circumcised, it meant that you were in covenant with God. It meant that you were spoken for. It meant that you were chosen. It meant that you were righteous. So not only is pain a part of his love, it is actually a qualification for his love. So here we are in New Testament, and yes, thank God, being cut in the flesh is no longer the mark, but then God says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing away with circumcision of your flesh, but I'm not doing away with circumcision. So he's still cutting. But now instead of cutting the flesh, and now all of us are included, men and women, he's cutting the heart. And let me tell you guys, heart cuts hurt more than flesh cuts. So if we think that in order to be properly loved by God the Father, you are not going to experience any pain. You are deceived. Pain is a part of the process. But the beautiful thing is when you're cut at the heart, ah, it's actually a sign of legitimacy. It's actually a sign that you're spoken for. It's actually a sign that you are being fathered by God. Proverbs 13, verse 24 he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. I love this as promptly. Quick. Now, a lot of Christians, maybe even some in this room, reject this scripture because they go, I don't, you know, physically discipline my kid and I love them. And what happens is we think that hate we misinterpret the word hate. Hate's used a lot in scripture. We must understand that there's a lot of there's a lot of dimensions to the word hate. Hate isn't the same hate in this scripture as you hate like a food that you don't like. It's like, oh, gross. Like, it's not being detested by it. Um, in this scripture, it doesn't mean that those who spare the rod look at their kid and go, oh my God, I can't stand him. I don't like him. Get him away from me. It's not that kind of hate. It's the hate that sets them up, well, let's see, when you spare the rod and when you don't bring in this element of, of fathering, you set your children up for failure. So even though you have the affections of love and adoration for them, the outcome of their life equals as if you hated them. Stick with me here. The outcome for sparing that pain aspect for fathering your children will produce an outcome that will equal you hating them. You will be setting them up. So it's not, it's not a surface hate of like, I hate you, child. It's I'm parenting, parenting you in a way that will produce results as if I never loved you. The results will be the same as if you never loved them. And it registers as hate. So it's not the same as like, I hate you. It's, 
I'm neglecting doing what it takes and putting in the work of making sure that you're set up to be complete and equipped for every good work. So we have to graduate the way we think. A lot of times we read that scripture, oh, that scripture is not true. It is true, and it will prove to be true. You just have to understand what it means by it. Let me keep on going because this is a whole thing. Hebrews chapter 12, 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If he's not chasing you, he doesn't love you. And he loves us, right? And scourges, scourges every son whom he receives. Okay, guys, again, I'm all about, like, being figurative and conceptual. And maybe, you know, discipline means other things. than Scourge literally means to whip. It means to whip. He scourges every son whom he receives. He's a good, good father, right? Y'all still think so? Perfect in all his ways, right? You still think so? Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as his sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Find me, a, basically, find me a son of God that is not chastened. Find me a father, a son of God that's not being whipped somewhere. <laughs> but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and you're not sons. So, guys, not only is chastening and scourging a part of it, it's actually the indicator of it. Without scourging, without discipline, without that cut, Scripture says you're illegitimate. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, remember again, it's for our profit that he's chastening us. It's for our profit that he's scourging us that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, which is why everybody's quiet right now. But painful. Everyone say painful. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. If it hurts, don't fret. Something didn't go wrong. And honestly, please God forbid, don't leave. <laughs> Guys, it's supposed to hurt. And we have grown in a culture where the minute that it hurts, that's a sign that God is saying you should go. The minute that it hurts, that's the time that we pull out. When Honestly, that means that you are legitimate. It means that God is actually doing his thing. And the reason why I know it's supposed to hurt is because, first of all, it says endure it. And I don't endure things I like. I don't endure ice cream cones. Anything God's saying endure means you're not going to like it. And the other reason why I know it's not supposed to feel good is that the only consolation is what it produces later. There's no instant gratification in being rebuked. It's the gratification that comes later, which is why you don't find kids saying, Mom and Dad, thanks for punishing me. But you see a lot of adults that say, I'm so glad my parents disciplined me. Right? The rebuke is supposed to hurt. And it's a cutting that marks you as loved, legitimate, and cared for. And the alternative to it is being an orphan, being illegitimate. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise 
than for a man to hear the song of fools. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. God is a good father. He's a good father to look you in the face and tell you what you need to hear, even if it hurts. He's like, I'm not one of those fake people. You're looking at the wrong, I'm not, I'm not a fake person. God is going, I'm, I'm real. I tell you what I think to your face. I'm a good father. I'm not fake and I'm not scared. I'm not scared of confrontation. I'm not scared of, of, of uh, you not liking me for a couple of days. I'm not scared of you. I love you. I don't fear you. I love you. This is the father. This is the father. Praise God. And the third thing, exhort. To exhort is to direct or to tell someone what to do, but, in, but spe specifically uh, in, in, in a way that calls them up and raises them up. Exhort is to call out the greatness in a person, saying, you can do this. You're better than this. Join me in this. Magnify the Lord with me. Obey. To exhort is to call out the greatness in us. And we have a father. And that's the beautiful thing about him. He doesn't just tell us what we're doing wrong, but he tells us what to do that's right. You know, how frustrating is it when someone, have you ever played those games where you're in a blindfold and you're having me directed and then someone's saying, like, uh, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. It's like, well, then what, what is the right way? Like, you know, it's one thing to just say what you're doing wrong all the time, but God doesn't do that. He says what you're doing wrong, but then trains you and says, but this is how you do it. He trains you, he actually walks with you. He walks with you and he equips you and he says, this is the right way to do it. Exhorting is, is, is pointing people to who they really are supposed to be and saying, this is the mark, get here. This is the mark, come on, come on. Like even when we lead, when we lead worship, it's like exhorting is like, okay, guys, we need to praise God. So, so they'll, they'll say something that, that calls the audience up. You know, maybe we're sitting with our hands in our pocket and we're thinking about yesterday's issues. But then up here we call it exhortation. We, we say something that, that is meant to spark something in you that pulls you out of where you were and pulls you to where you're supposed to be, and that is magnifying God. That's loving God. That's what the Father does. The Father exhorts us. He speaks to us, and he gives us words that take us out of the, the rut that we're in and moves us into where we're ultimately supposed to be. A father does that. A lot of times, you know, fathers might have nicknames, you know, for their sons, you know. They might call him Tiger or Hey Champion or What's up, big man? Like little, little words like that. It might seem kind of silly, but what a father is doing is he's giving a word. He's, he's calling out the greatness. He's calling out the fighter in that boy. He's calling out the winner in that boy. He's calling out the, the, the adult in him. He's, going, he's, he's coming up with words that make him feel uh, good about himself, but in a way that also, let's see, what did I write? Exhorting makes you feel good about who you are by declaring who you are becoming. So it's not just a lick your wounds kind of feel good. Because there is a feel good that actually brings comfort and brings no progress. There is a such thing as being comforted with no progress attached to it. God comforts, but he comforts with it in a way where it's still progressive. It's still something that calls you closer to him and closer to who he's called you to be. Is this making sense? This is an example of the father doing this uh, through First uh, Peter 2. First Peter 2 verse 9. It says, but you, he's talking to us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, just so you know, right before this passage, he's telling the people to stop 
stealing and stop being hypocrites and putting away malice and bitterness. So this is not some pristine group that's all like in white robes that he's going, you're a holy nation. It's people that just five minutes ago maybe even stole something from somebody. Like, but exhortation is going, I got to reprove that you can't st- stop stealing. Um, you you, you got to, you gotta, I got to rebuke you. Like, don't ever do that again. And then you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are God's chosen. That's exhortation. That's the encouragement that calls you up. What we do sometimes today is, uh, okay, you stole something. All right, like, well, I can understand why you stole. I can understand that. Well, you know, give me a hug. God loves you, which is true, but there's no correction. There's no rebuke, and there's no exhortation. It's like, why did you do that? Stop doing that. Do you know what that, you know that Jesus, boom, 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 and you're a man of God. You're a preacher of the word. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're an encourager. You are gifted. You are called. And all of a sudden, once you're done talking to them, the, the image that you painted of them seems to be so different from the action they just did. And it's like, whoa. Then it's like they almost open, that, op- that almost opens their eyes to how wrong what they did was. Because you call them up and show them that they're an eagle, and they're still, they've just been doing buzzard stuff. And it's like, oh, my God. That's how God works. You've got to say, this is buzzard stuff. But, but we become so hypersensitive and so fearful, and it's actually what the very thing that, that's why the Scripture says, lean not on your own understandings. Because when we lean on our, on our own understandings, the very thing that we think is loving actually scripturally reads as hate. We think we're loving people and we're hating them because we're leaning to how we understand that we should father and we should mother and we should lead. When the father goes, none of that is in there. I'm saying scourge. I'm saying discipline. I'm saying rebuke. I'm saying cut. And we're saying no. No, no, that's just not loving. That's just not, guys, we can't lean on our understandings. We have to look at these scriptures and know that this is the heart of the Father. This is how he does it. John 15, verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. God chose us, guys appointed you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And the reason why I'm ending with this scripture, because we have to understand that everything that God is doing, the Father, the first scripture I read was train up a child in the way they should go, right? Everything the Father does is with an outcome in mind. He has an outcome in mind for your life. And that's, if that's not okay with you, then God's not okay with you. If we are, if it's a deal breaker that God is a father that has expectations for your life, then there's really nothing that we can do because that's who he is. He has a purpose for your life. He has thoughts about your future. He has an outcome in mind of where you should go. He's not, um, he's not a haphazard God. He doesn't go, well, they'll just end up wherever they end up. We'll let the chips fall as they may. No, he has an outcome in mind. He has a destination in mind, and you've got to be okay with that. If, you don't, if you're not okay with that, I don't know what to tell you. This is, the, this is the wrong father for you. The father wants you to go somewhere specific and become something specific. But the cool thing about God is, he actually has the skill and the experience and the patience and the time to get you there. That's the good news. It's one thing to have expectations for your child without the resources or the support to help get them there. That's frustrating. But that's not God. 
God has expectations and has vision for your life and has all of the resources to get you there. The Father sent Jesus Christ to help get you there. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reconcile us to a Father who has plans for us, who has a future for us, who has the ability to make us complete and equipped. The Father wants to perfectly prepare you. The Father wants to perfectly train you. The Father wants to perfectly father you. It will involve reproving. You will have things highlighted about your life that are incorrect. He will express disapproval to some of the ways you're thinking, some of the ways you're talking, some of the ways you're acting, some of the ways you're making decisions, some of the ways you're stewarding your money, some of the ways you're loving your spouse. He will highlight areas that are incorrect. You've got to be okay with that. Please don't be, don't be what the Bible says is stupid. Don't be stupid. Don't despise him highlighting the areas that need to get better. Be wise enough to realize this is going to make me better. Be wise enough to appreciate becoming more like Jesus. When he fathers you, you're going to get, you're going to get cut. There's going to be some. But just remember, that's a sign of legitimacy. That's a sign that you're not forgotten. That's a sign. Yes, I know we prefer for hugs to be the sign that we're not forgotten. I know if we had it our way, hugs would be the sign of legitimacy. But actually, it's a cut. That's a sign of legitimacy. We've got to be okay with that. Now, do we hug too? Yes. I'm not anti-hugs. I just, I'm anti-hugs negating this very important aspect of the father who scourges his children. That's what I have a problem with. And that's what God has a problem with. And he wants to exhort you. He wants to speak life to you. He wants to speak the identity that he had in mind when he paid for you on the cross, when he died, when he sent his son and died on the cross, to die on the cross. He wants to exhort you. And this is what it means to be loved by the Father. It's different. Unfortunately, it's different for a lot of us. But I want us to give ourselves to this because then it'll be reflected in the way that we parent and we'll actually start to have a, 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 a family that looks like God instead of our own understandings of how God probably would do it. Guys, we don't have to wonder how God would probably do it. We don't have to wonder how would God do this. It's all here. <laughs> like, I just straight up read Hebrews 12. Like, he was straight up saying, this is how I do it. I chasten you and I scourge you. And I, I, I do this because it's for your profit so that you can become holy and share in my holiness and bear fruit. I mean, it's all there. It's not a mystery. We just like, like that scripture says, we, we, come on, guys, let's not be the church that even though we know there's a scripture somewhere where it says that, we, we uh, scripture says we will, we will no longer tolerate sound teaching. So even though we know the Bible says that, we'll accumulate for ourselves teachers that satisfy our passions. So we actually know how to manipulate our settings. Human beings, we know how to surround ourselves with what we want to hear. And all I want to make sure is that we don't prioritize what we want to hear over truth. That's all I'm asking. I'm not condemning you for having your preference of what you want to hear. I have that too. The issue is when we we manipulate our lives and control our lives to where we're only hearing what we want to hear at the expense of the whole truth. That's what we can't do. And a lot of people are doing it. Paul, if a lot of people were starting to do it back in Paul's day, I mean, come on. It's been 2,000 years. Where are we now? 
So that is what, that's an element of God's fathering that I want us to make sure that we know exists so that we don't run away from it, so that we don't um, interpret it as something foreign and strange and wrong. But we also, we see it as something to appreciate and, yeah, receive. So um, I want to lead us in the time of prayer, but before I do, uh, I want to talk about a father in my life who, who embodied so much of what I've read today, and I'm really grateful for it. I wasn't always grateful for it, like some of you guys aren't grateful for me right now. Um, but it's okay, because I believe in faith that in about 15 years, a lot of this room is, is going to be like, man, thank you, God, for that. Like I'm saying, thank you, God, for him. My dad, I want to talk about five special things about my dad that I appreciate the most. I was thinking of what are some of my favorite qualities about you, and one is that you're reliable. You're reliable, and you don't just become reliable. Like, you have to put in time. My dad's a hard worker. He's disciplined. He knows how to do things when he doesn't want to do it. Therefore, he's reliable. He's stable. Number two, faithful. He's full of faith, humble, relaxed, and resilient. Those are five things that I appreciate about you. I could go on more. I was just thinking of five because I don't want to go too long. But faithful because in two ways. Faithful as far as loyal. That's extremely loyal, particularly to um, my mom. He puts his mom, my mom before us. <laughs> he always just, he's always picking mom. He's always siding with mom. It's always mom. I'm like, again, it's frustrating as a son, but as a son, I'm like, that's awesome. I want to do that. I can't wait to do that with my wife. Like, it should be like that. My mom is first, even before me and Ashley. And he's also really optimistic. He's full of faith. The whole church could be burning down. He's like, man, God is doing it. <laughs> he's full of faith. Everybody could be leaving. He's like, man, God is on the move. <laughs> Again, frustrating for me sometimes. But praise God, he's full of faith. He's humble. He's not looking for praise. He's not looking for, in fact, he was trying to run, run away from it. He doesn't, even now, like he's, he's humble and he's, he's, I don't know. Like there's been so many times. Like if I had a dollar for every time my dad was called Mr. Winans, his last name is not Winans. His name is Love. People just aren't thinking. They're like, oh, how do you know Mr. Winans? It's like. And does he get mad? No. Because he gets, he's like, okay, yes, he sees my wife, cool. He's not Mr. Wine, he's Mr. Love. Yeah, but he, he's so gracious about it. He doesn't get offended. He's just like, whatever. <laughs> By the way, don't call him Mr. Winans. <laughs> he's relaxed. I get really worked up sometimes. I get really hurt sometimes. I'll call him, and he's just like really even keel. And a life that I live and the job that I have, it's really grateful. I'm really grateful to have a person I can call to, call, and he's just going to be chill. And, and, again, I think that goes back to just his confidence in who he is and what God is doing. And then resilient. My dad shared a story before. He's had some major, major setbacks that most people do not bounce back from. Like, Major. And not only did he bounce back, but he's got all this. He's got his family. Like, he's resilient. So I thank you that I thank you for being that. I thank God that I have that for you and in, in you. And I, I pray that I can learn from you and continue to grow to be these five things. Um, and I just want to honor you. Um, there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 4:15. It says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, some say teachers. You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's basically saying there's a lot of people who teach. There's few people who love you enough to do the, the hard stuff, the reproving, the rebuking, the exhorting, 
the stuff that dads do. There's a few people that Paul says, I'm going to be that. My dad has been that for us, this community. And I want to ask him to come up. I want him to uh, speak a blessing over fathers in the room. And what better man to do it, in my opinion, than Pastor Love, founding pastor of Nashville. Well, praise the Lord. God is good. You know, I was sitting here thanking you as I listened to Alvin's message today. And first of all, it's so on point um, when you think about how God has prepared us for what he has called us to do. And I had no idea that God had, was preparing me for to be a pastor. And I have two kids. I have Alvin and Ashley, my natural kids. But I have a lot of spiritual kids. And I thank God for them because it's through them that I have learned how to love and continue to love. You know, when I became a pastor, I didn't look at all the things that I couldn't do. But I said, Lord, what can I do that I already have? He said, your name is what? Love. <laughs> he said, just love people. Just love people. And that's what I always tried to do. I always tried to love people. And I keep praying, ask the Lord to give me more love for people. He's given me a wonderful family. He's given me a church. And I'm just grateful that I can stand here today at my age. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm in my, I'm in my right mind. And I'm so grateful to be a father. The greatest gift, not just being a pastor, but the greatest gift that God has given me is to be a pastor. I mean, to be a father, I'm sorry, to be a father. And it's because of the father, because I was faithful as a father, God trusted me with the church. So I'm going to pray for the fathers in this house and those that are not here. I'm going to pray for not only the natural fathers, but the fathers who are spiritual dads to other men and women. It's so important for us to understand that we have the perfect father in heaven. And Matthew 5, 48 tells us that we are to be perfect like our father who is in heaven. So don't say, well, I'm not perfect. Say, I'm striving to be perfect like my father in heaven. So I'm going to ask all the dads, if you're a spiritual dad, of your natural dad to please stand. Before I pray for these dads, I just want to say this. I am so proud of the fathers that's in this church. When Nashville Life started over nine years ago, it was myself and I believe the Jamesons were the only fathers but now we have so many great fathers in this church. And I want to think that they have followed the example of their spiritual father <laughs> to be the father that they are now. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we give you praise and we give you glory for the father that you have been to us. Father God, I pray over these men today. I pray, Father, that they will continue to learn and continue to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father God, that they will learn how to surrender their lives to you in order for them to be the man that you've called them to be. Father, help them to be the love that they need to be to their children as the love that you have been to them. Help them to be patient with their children as you have been patient with them. Help them to protect and to cover and to provide for their family like you have been to them. Help us to remember, Lord, that we are who we are because of who you are. Continue to birth in us the spirit of excellence, the spirit of humility, the spirit of service and of honor that has been given to us. We have the honor to be carried the same name as Father, as you. 
So, Lord, it's a privilege and it's an honor for us to be called fathers. And I pray over these men today. I pray that you will continue to strengthen them. I pray you will continue to teach them and lead them and guide them in the direction that you have called them to walk. We ask all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up as we wrap up. For all of us in here, I pray that these scriptures, again, served as insight to the heart of your Father in heaven and that you can kind of know what to expect now because God is letting you know what's important to him and how he plans to develop you. Um, For parents out there, I really encourage you to to lean not on your own understandings, but, but parent by the word of God. I'm fully aware that so much of what I said contradicted with about 90% of the things that are out there as far as content of how to parent. But I just want to make sure that we understand that we, we, we don't take our cues from the world. We take our cues from the word of God. No matter how countercultural it might be, um, please hear me. Um, for those of you who are ready to step into that legitimacy, you, you are ready to receive that, that love of the Father, that love that, that, that's true and that's real and that's not always uh, pleasant but always right and always good. Um, and the one that actually knows how to make you complete, complete and equipped for every good work, Jesus is how you meet him. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And I want to invite you to receive Jesus today. And when you receive Jesus, the Bible says that you will be reconciled to this Father that I've been talking about the past hour. And it's going to bless your life. It's going to change your life. And it's also going to change the lives of others through you. So if you are ready to receive that, I'm going to ask you to join uh, me in saying this prayer. I'm going to ask for all of us to say it together. So, So say, Father, In the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate having a father who loves us enough to do what it takes to prepare us. I believe I'm looking at a room full of people who are going to be prepared prepared for what's ahead because we have a good father. Um, If you said yes to Jesus, let us know. You said yes to him for the first time or maybe you said it again but you want to recommit. Text yes to Jesus to 77411. It's just a little text system and we'll reply with some information that'll help you, give you some good content to encourage you as you start this walk with Jesus. Um, If you would like to receive prayer, we've got people who are going to come down front and they'll be happy to serve you and pray for you at the end when I dismiss. So whatever you need prayer for, we're here for you. Um, The leaders here would love to pray for anybody who comes. Um, If you would like to learn more about Nashville Life, we've got Next Steps, a meeting that meets at Worm 104. Um, If you don't know where 104 is, just see one of the team people, the people with the team t-shirt and they'll point you to room 104. I'm actually leading the one today. We'll love to see you and meet you. Aside from that, uh, giving, if you if you want to give cash or, or check for your offering, the finance team is in the center aisle. They can receive your offering at the end um, as you walk out. But uh, I'm just happy y'all came. Happy Father's Day. I pray that this word um, was a blessing to you, fathers. I pray that you were encouraged and 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 honored and we, we, we wouldn't be here without you, literally. So thank you, um, and I love all of you. I can't wait to see you guys next time. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you again for today. 
Thank you for a day where we get to not only honor you, but honor the, the fathers um, in our lives and in this community. I pray a blessing over them. I pray a blessing over all the sons and daughters. God, give us the uh, grace and the conviction to endure uh, the chastening that comes with being fathered by you, Lord. Let us not run. Let us not resist. But, Lord, let us let us receive it, Lord, and let us uh, just remember that there are great benefits that are going to come um, from, from enduring being fathered by you, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for humble people. God, I pray, Lord, that you continue to soften our hearts, uh, protect us, and bring us back safely next week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Have a great rest of your day.